Have you ever wondered why you're not making a podcast? Maybe because you think it's too hard. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I mean, you're immediately in the podcast game. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So right now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M and join me on Anchor. presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. Tonight, a conversation on witchcraft and paranormal investigation with the Oregon Wood Witch, J. Allen Cross. That's right now, on this edition of Night Drift. Guest J. Allen Cross is a practicing witch of indigenous Mexican and European descent. Born into a family of the mystically inclined, Joshua has been doing spiritual work all his life. Living in his home state of Oregon, he works as psychic medium and occult specialist for a well-known paranormal investigation team. He writes articles for esoteric blogs and provides spiritual healing services to his local and Instagram community under his persona, the Silver Falls Witch. And tonight joins us on Night Drift. Jay Allen Cross, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. You make me sound very important and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess I, I could have added professor in that as well. You know, first off, at the time of this recording, we are upon the fall equinox. It's September 21st. Can you describe to us why this is such a powerful and significant time? This is a really special time of year because we're kind of coming into what I like to call the season of the dead. Mm. Because from this point, this is where we hit fall officially. This is where, you know, things start to get very dark. This is when things are being very harvested and we're celebrating that harvest time. And so this is a time not only of very real death as far as, you know, what our nature is going to be doing around us as it gets ready for winter, but also in my traditions, we don't do a lot of spring cleaning. We do a lot of fall cleaning mm. because we're getting ready to go into the winter time where it's hibernation. We're going to be spending a lot of time indoors in that restful space. So cleaning before that is really important. Um, this is a very busy time too, where we think a lot about what we're grateful for, which is important because this is the time of year where um, back in the days, we either found out that we had enough food or we were going to die. So oh, that was kind of the, yes. the juxtaposition there. So 
um, every kind of, you know, canned food you can put away, you know, I come from a family that really likes to can. Um, so we have pressure canning, water bath canning, all these things. So we're preserving a lot of food for the winter. Um, and every single jar of that always seems kind of precious. I don't know if that just survives in the bloodline to modern day, but, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where we get to reflect on a lot of those things, what's important to us and what is no longer important. You know, it's interesting. You, you talk about how, uh, you know, having those cans in your hand, right. And, and the jar food and canned food and how they, they feel special. Well, like, I mean, aren't they sort of no different than a, a potion or a spell or a manifestation of sort of very earthbound energies that are placed into that? Like that's that's the interpretation I get. I mean, I felt like I was doing some sort of high magic when I was pickling earlier this year, and I felt like I tapped into something like almost um, almost primordial within myself. Like I don't know, I felt so accomplished. <laughs> Absolutely. And well, when we do these things, a lot of these old, you know, canning recipes or these methods that we have, um, a lot of these recipes come from our ancestors. You know, this is Grandma Judy's, you know, canned peaches or, you know, how my mom used to do it or all these things. And this time of year, especially, you know, starting from now, where it's like the autumn equinox going into the Halloween period and up into November, we're going through this time again, sort of with that season of the dead where the, the veil really thins. And so during this time when we're doing all this canning, which is already kind of like a familial thing or something that our ancestors might remember, you know, those ancestral spirits are so much closer to us during this time while we're doing it. You know, what other things can folks do during this time of year to maybe enhance their liveliness or their energy or meet goals or tackle new projects? What are some of the things that they should, could either be doing to help themselves and or stay away from certain things? Certainly. Um, I think right now, you know, we kind of touched on the cleaning thing earlier, having that preparation in time for these, you know, colder, slower months. But also during this time, I think it's really important that we do slow down and really get the rest that we're needing because these are the times of year where we're really going into that hibernation period. And if we kind of, you know, once it gets colder, we all kind of want to curl up somewhere, but we tend to kind of berate ourselves for it because we're not being productive. But if we do take that time to rest, I find that my times in which I am productive are are so much more because I'm not wishing I was somewhere with a book because I already was somewhere with a book, you know? Um, so kind of allowing ourselves that over these next few months. It's so funny. I mean, I think we're going to keep going back to sort of ancestral knowledge, right? And and just sort of like primitive people's knowledge about, you know, what they felt accomplished about. You know, if they found a place of, 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 of respite and a, a warm domicile to be in during the winter months in which they have their food all, you know, sort of... Um, at least mostly ready for consumption. Uh, They feel like they're in a safe environment. You know, they chill out and they feel okay about that because they're surviving and they're alive. And it's hard for us right now to connect with that, right? I mean, I don't think um, it's mostly due to something like hustle culture or something, but I think just the overall programming that we all face right now is sort of like do, 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 do. And there is like sort of this inadequacy, uh, a feeling of inadequacy when we're just chilling out and doing our thing. 
So let's talk a little bit about you now. Let's shift gears. And I'm so curious uh, to hear your story about what really led you to, to magic, to witchcraft, to the things you're exploring right now. Yes. Um, so for me, this is a, a family thing. This is something that kind of I ended up inheriting without even knowing it. Um, mm. So for me, my, my story is a little backwards because a lot of people kind of grow up and then some point along their life, they find witchcraft. For me, from a very early start, learning witchcraft um, ended up being a necessity almost for survival because I come, a fam- I come from a very magical family. And when we talk about magic, so magic and witchcraft are different categories um, because magic is kind of the ability to make things happen through sheer force of will or um, emotional outbursts. Whereas witchcraft is more of a science that requires tools, things like candles, herbs, um, and combining them in a way that then creates change. So I come from a very magical family where it's very common for things to happen around us. We're we're the people that we get really upset and the bathroom will flood or um, a tire will pop next to us, we'll sneeze and a light bulb will burst. Sure, Um, right, right. Yeah, so I kind of had this coming out of me in abundance. And one of the things that kind of comes along with our family too is what we call the sight. So um, I am what we call post-cognitive, where I see the events that happened in the past. Um, I also chat about with the dead for a little bit. Uh, hmm. and But it shows up a little bit different in each member of my family. So my, my grandmother used to um, hear the voice of God, as she would say. It was the Heavenly Father was speaking to her and he was telling her, that she needed to do this or, or go over there. Or that's how she kind of rolled with it. Right. Um, so all of this was very present for me from a very early age. And I remember feeling very different than uh, some of the other kids, as well as I had some behavioral things that were unusual. Like I, when I was very, very little, I used to like to carry around any big books that I could find and say that they were a spell book. <laughs> which turns out normal kids don't like to do. Um, so for me to make sense of what was happening to me and why I was different, um, learning witchcraft was very important to kind of just put a leash on what was already happening. Um, and then so I started learning it at a very early age. Um, and so I've been doing this for the bulk of my life. Right. I mean, it must feel that in some way you've just sort of been doing this since birth, right? Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I know sometimes it's hard to qualify those super early years that we um, are sparse of memory. But yeah, there's something to it that seems that it is from the womb, uh, just onset seemingly. Um, what What is it really? So at this point in time, do you identify as a witch? Um, I do uh, most of the time. But when we talk about the word witch and witchcraft um, in modern American vernacular. Yes, I would be a witch. But if we get down to like, you know, the historical context of everything, you know, witchcraft and the word witch is all very much British and is mm-hmm. specifically talking about that sect of, you know, magic practice. Yeah. Um, whereas culturally, um, I would come from more of an American Southwest, Mexico kind of area in which I would be called, someone argue, some would argue it would be brujo, 
um, others would call it hechicero. Uh, I don't like to claim the term curandero, even though I do a lot of that work. Um, a lot of these titles are community given. So um, one does not just take a class and then be a curandero. Right. One is doing the work of a curandero until his community begins to call him or her a curandero or a curandera. Right. Um, so it's not something that you just kind of decide that you are. Um, and I'm always trying to be direct in what I am presenting myself as. Um, I do self-identify as a witch. I do practice witchcraft, um, both the British kind, but the bulk of my work is done um, from the Mexican cultural magics uh, is what I do mostly. Uh, but I often just kind of refer to myself as a spiritual work, um, just because I find that covers the most bases <laughs> all at once. Because I, I have my I have my hand in a few different pauldrons over here. So right, um, right. So yes, kind of calling myself a spirit worker is a uh, kind of covers a lot. Very smart. Yeah, I I can see. Yeah, I can. <laughs> that makes m- the most sense. Uh, what is it uh, that you typically do within your within your work? It's a broad question for something that I think is probably pretty damn nuanced and uh, complex in terms of the the um, the type of magics and and witchcraft that you're pulling upon and and even you know sort of psychic abilities right you're pulling from a lot of different um, origin points and techniques so how 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 would you describe just some of maybe the uh, tent pole operations that you do yeah so um, I do part of it is psychic work which includes I do readings for people. I do a lot of tarot readings for people. Um, I also offer a service that is um, house readings. I don't like to do um, one-on-one mediumship readings where I talk to people's loved ones who have passed on. That's not a very comfortable place for me. Hmm. Um, But I do like the work uh, of reading people's homes and houses because I come from that background doing paranormal investigation. So um, I offer services where people can send me pictures of their homes and I can tell them, uh, what spirits I'm picking up on that are in the home, uh, kind of what their personality types might be. Um, I do occasionally do missing persons work, but nothing that is like I don't work with police officers and things like that. Um, I do those sometimes. I also then have the magic portion or the witchcraft portion where I do spells through my online community is how people tend to find me the most. Um, and so people will hire me to cast spells on their behalf um, for all kinds of things. Uh, I get a lot of very strange requests. Oh, um, is that right? Yes. Yeah, the, the good thing, though, about working for yourself is you get to choose who your clients are. So sure. <laughs> um, I, have, I have a nice vetting process for who I decide to work with and who I decide to um, you know, do spiritual work for. Yeah. Um, and then I have kind of a, uh, a spiritual healing portion, which kind of covers the other two all at once. Because when I'm working with somebody... Um, it's not necessarily healing their physical body. People come to me with all kinds of things. Um, they, they have spirit attachments. They have um, ghosts that have been following them and harassing them. They have, um, you know, they might have gotten ojo or, you know, the eye or all those mm. things. So doing, you know, limpias and you know, curandero type work um, is stuff that I do offer to my community. Um, that's very hard to do online because I like to see people in person. Um, same thing with working on people's haunted homes. I like to be very there, hands-on. Um, 
some of the work can be done from a distance, but I do prefer to do those specifically for my community or at least those who are local enough that can get to me. Um, the COVID has put a bit of a damper on that, sure, but I'm yeah. hoping that once that's kind of taken care of, I can resume that again and continue working. Yeah. You know, working with, with folks within your community, what has been one of the most surprising things that has sort of been brought to your attention or that you've learned through this process? Mm-hmm. Um, I have learned that everyone has a ghost story. <laughs> and I was not expecting that, especially in small town Oregon. Because people, <laughs> when, when people think of Oregon, they think of Portland or they think of Eugene. And mm-hmm. they think that everything is this well-developed, super progressive area. But the truth right. is, is that outside of, you know, five miles outside of Portland or a little bit more, it starts getting um, very, very the opposite of that. It's very rural, very small town. Um, much of the state is is very conservative. Um, well, so you're one of the only guests that I've had on recently that I can tell you where I live and you'll completely know where I'm at immediately. So what you're describing within that small rural town is exactly mm-hmm. what you get. And uh, you can drive about an hour in several directions and then kind of get, you know, sort of out of that into modernity again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, small rural Oregon, you know, it's it's much more Twin Peaks than... <laughs> Yes. Twin Peaks with giant trucks. Yes, very big trucks and Confederate flags. But um, the the town that I'm in is is okay. We we feel very safe because I'm I'm both Latino and gay, which is always an interesting surprise when it comes to rural places. But but no, this place has actually been quite um, interesting as far as being pretty progressive. But also, I was very nervous at starting to kind of tell people you know, what it is that I offer to this community because I had been in Portland for so long where you could just be like, I'm a witch and everyone else around you is like, me too. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> coming to a place like this and then just kind of being like slowly kind of creeping out and finding just a few people that I know will be cool with it and then kind of telling other people and them telling other people. So I've kind of built a little bit of an undercurrent of people randomly kind of contacting me and being like, so-and-so told me that you could help. Um, and the response from the community has been uh, surprising. It, mm. It's been a lot more interest than I had thought originally. Um, and it's curious when people get around someone like me, they finally have someone who won't think they're crazy if they tell them something. And so when people get around me, suddenly all their stories start to bubble up. This thing happened to me when I was little. I saw this, this thing in a graveyard or, you know, um, I was chased by this creature or just all these interesting stories come out. Um, and so it's been interesting for me to listen to that and notice how this stuff isn't uncommon. This isn't rare phenomenon that we're talking about. This is stuff that people are experiencing. We're just not talking about. And that, that's been an interesting part. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, it's happening everywhere. It's happening every day and it's happening to everyone. And, and we aren't talking about it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating that relationship between what our experiences are and how much we want to just sort of drive right through it. Um, how, do, how does that, how does that make you feel when someone shares with you uh, a surprising, you know, sort of 
ghost experience or something else. And they don't look to be the type that would, you know, maybe believe or trust in telling a witch something or how, how does that make you feel when those stories are shared with you? Um, I, I tend to like it a lot. There, there are certain times that it's not always the best, but we'll talk about that in a second. But I think for, <laughs> for most of the time, most of the time, uh, I think it's really interesting, especially because um, I'll often find myself in social situations and I'm not a very social person. And the inevitable question comes up, what is it that you do for work? Yeah. And so me attempting to kind of explain it to people and then if someone's like, oh, this thing happened to me once, then I feel number one, like they get it. Like they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. But also they've deemed me a safe person to talk to about it. And I think that's really neat. And especially, especially when it's a person who doesn't look like they'd be that type or think that, oh, it's just a bunch of malarkey or, you know, that or they, they might be afraid of what it is that I do when they jump in like that. I do really love it. Yeah. Um, there are other times too, because when I do um, housework, you know, paranormal work where I go to people's homes and, uh, resolve their hauntings as much as I'm able to. Um, there's a tendency for not only um, for me being there doing what I'm doing to ignite that kind of response in people of, oh, I need to tell you this story. Mm. Um, and so people will begin talking to me for hours and I have a job to do while I'm there at their home. <laughs> right. Or this, there's another interesting phenomenon that kind of goes along with it when when a witch or a paranormal investigator is coming to someone's house, suddenly a crowd gathers. Mm. I'll arrive at a home and they'll be like, oh yeah, it's just me here at home. And by the time I get there, it's them and two of their sisters and their friend from college and their hairdresser <laughs> um, because they all heard that this was happening and they all want to watch sure. and tell me their stories, yeah. which is awesome. And I would love to do that, but also I'm kind of in work mode at that moment. So I'm, yeah, I'm right. usually kind of like, that's neat. I got to scare this thing out of your basement real quick. Right. I'll be right back. Um, and then we can talk about that all you want. But so there, there are times when it's better than others, but I, I do love it, especially when I'm in kind of a social laid back situation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so, it's so fascinating. And uh, I mean, for lack of better words, it's like really sort of a precious interaction. Um, you know, these these people are holding are holding you accountable for respecting their story really and and expecting sort of uh maybe not an absolute agreement but at least a warmness to these stories and so that that is the hardest part of this right when you're like i'm trying to do a job i'm trying to slow right. back away as respectfully as possible so i can hold your stories and and yeah. uh, and be an arbiter of that but yeah, that's um, always such a tough part of this work for you, I imagine. You know, I'm hoping you can describe a little bit about any differences that you found in doing this work in a metropolitan area as opposed to a rural area in regards to the phenomenon itself. Have you seen any differences? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of the times when we change from one landscape to the other a lot of simply the land spirits will be different hmm. um and especially you know in historical context i surprisingly and yet unsurprisingly find that more rural living 
at least where I am now, is less haunted than living in a place like Portland. Hmm. Um, I found Portland to be very haunted, but also Portland has uh, a long history. It has a lot of things like the Shanghai tunnels and the Old Town. Um, it has, I mean, all of Chinatown, all of Old Town is very haunted yeah. um, over there. So it has this big history. There's a lot of events that have happened there, which lead to a lot of dead. Also, you know, earthbound human spirits really do like um, living human energy. So mm-hmm. places like shopping malls will be very haunted, um, movie theaters, things like this, places where people frequent. Yeah, lots. big hotels. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's honestly, it's a lot quieter out here as far as hauntings are concerned. Um, but it is starting to kick up a little bit. It tends to kick up around this time of year. Um, and also as people get to hear about me more um, and that there's someone in the area that can assist with these things, then those things start to come out more and more. Um, my team is out of kind of North Portland, um, lower Vancouver area. So a lot of the, the cases that we get are from places like um, Portland or Vancouver, Camas, Battleground. Um, Battleground, Washington is very haunted. Mm. Um, so Oregon City, we get a lot of that too. Um, so those are the places where we tend to free them. Old towns, yeah. super old towns. Yeah, fascinating. Do you find that there is perhaps a certain, you know, you talk about like sort of land spirits. Is there like a a, a unique energy to the Northwest, to, you know, the area of Cascadia that is, I don't know, sort of apparent to you or, you know, you know, any sort of the historical context? Because you know, sort of on the, the paranormal side, like, of course, right? The Cascade Mountains being linked to essentially the, the complete history of flying saucer. And, you know, to this point, UFO and ET contact experiences, etc. The cryptids, you know, like the mm-hmm. abundance of Sasquatch, you know, sort of reports through the decades. But But there's also just something that, you know, seems so mystical and so mysterious about this place that has helped like uh, really inform my work. I don't think Euphemet would be a thing if I maybe didn't live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm not sure because the, the, the fog, the dampness, the, the color of light that we get through most times of the year. Uh, We live in a David Fincher film, right? Like for the most (laughs) part, Uh, at least, you know, sort of (laughs) visually. So is there anything that you can attribute that too oh absolutely um so i grew up in the opposite corner of i grew up in la grande oregon and Oregon, so on the kind of mirror side of where we are now um and over there it's very dry it's the desert area so when you go over there there's a lot of this um it's a lot of air and it's a lot of dry earth it's a lot of sort of this coyote jackrabbit energy um, but then we come over here to the Pacific Northwest, it's less of an air element that we have in the East. And over here on the West side, it's more where earth and water come together because we're so close to the coast. You're talking about we have the fog. And over here, the spirits tend to be, like the land spirits tend to be a little more secretive. And I, I, I kind of attribute that a little bit to the density of our of our forest. And of course, kind of like that, moss everything is kind of obscured or concealed under moss you know there's a lot of this 
hidden energy happening here. You're right, it's a lot darker on this side too. We have a lot more cloud cover, um, we have a lot more fog. And so there's a lot of this, um, there's a lot more places for things to hide over here. Even though we're more densely populated in this area, there is a very mystical quality to where we are. Um, and that leads all the way up through Washington and certain places in California too. But um, yes, over here where that uh, earth and water spirits really collide over here. And they tend to be, at least from what I've seen, a little bit more territorial around here um, mm -hmm. because I think we're kind of encroaching on them more than we are on the east side. Um, so some of the, the hauntings that we'll get is angry land spirits. You know, someone tried to renovate, put in a septic tank, suddenly everything started going weird at their place. Um, so that's something that we see a lot more of. On. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Let's talk about those other energies, those outside energies that, you know, could be looking to disrupt human life. What, what energies are you running into? Oh, it depends on the day. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that we'll run into. Um, there isn't so much that I found that is specific to over here as far as things that I see regularly for a haunting on this side, just because every haunting is going to be a mixed bag of something different. Yeah. Um, I, I do find, um, and I, I, it might just be the proximity to the coast and the fact that there's so many um, bases and forts over there, but I do find there's a lot more uh, kind of military-type spirits over on this side of the state oh, than there were on the other one. Yeah. Uh, kind of those those old time places. We have um, this one near Astoria is at Fort Stevens, right? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. going over through there, uh, places up and down the coast where they have a lot of forts. Uh, so we we do have a lot of kind of military styling, and then uh, we have Battleground Washington, which tends to have kind of more of a military ghost feel to it as well. I don't know much of the history because I, I it's best if I don't know these things going in uh, because if I know the entire history of a place, then picking out what the ghost should be is easier versus yeah, I have no idea where I am, but I have this dude <laughs> right. telling me this. Um, right, it's a little right. bit more legit. So I, I try to be willfully ignorant of this stuff, um, but that's just kind of what I've experienced. Yeah. And we'll be right back with more with J. Allen Cross right after this. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Just because Halloween has come and passed doesn't mean that the scares don't continue. And as the world's premier streaming service for horror, thriller, and supernatural content, Shudder continues to bring them. As my creepy quarantine companion, I just watched Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist. And you can watch it now too. And try Shudder for free for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com and use promo code EUFAMED. With AMC Network Shudder, 
you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. And they have the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. With new spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense added weekly. You can watch the Mario Bava Collection. You can watch Spectre Visions Color Out of Space, the trippy series Blood Machines, or A Discovery of Witches. Shudder is a really unique collection of films and shows, many of them exclusive to Shudder. And you can get unlimited access to stream ad-free on all of your favorite devices. I watch on my Apple TV in the living room, and my iPhone at the airport when flying was a thing. And now you can try Shudder for yourself 30 days for free and help support Euphemet while you do it. Just go to Shudder.com and use promo code Euphemet. Go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use promo code Euphemet. Real quick, if you want more Night Drift, you can now find it on its own feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Help the show out. Please subscribe, rate, and review Night Drift. Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. What is your process when you go into someone's house to say clear its energy? What is your process like from the start of your interaction to the end? Um, it differs a little bit if I'm working with a team. So when if I'm going in solo, um, it's it's generally about the same, but so sometimes I work alone and sometimes I work with my team and my team is mostly made up out of other psychics. So we work in tandem together to get a read on the home and then we compare notes. And it's really interesting because our, our case manager handles a lot of our notes and we do um, a pre-impression, which means we get pictures of the home and nothing else. We don't get to know where it is, who lives there, what the activity is. Um, we just get a picture of the house. And so we all write down what we think is going on and then we send it to our case manager. And she's always fascinated by it because we tend to get all the same things sent in, um, which is interesting. Um, so basically, I show up. I, you know, greet the family, say hello. Um, generally use the bathroom because paranormal always should start with pee. Um, and if you don't do it now, you might do it at an inopportune time later. You don't know what is in this house. So What uh, a quote. <laughs> that is, that's a good good rule of thumb there um, when doing your paranormal investigative work. Um and I'm not a techie investigation person. I barely know how to use the K2. Um, but 
I kind of my own key too, so works out. But so what I tend to do is I make sure that the family is situated and I ask them if there's any place in the house that they don't want me to go. Um, mm-hmm. cause that's important because number one, I want to respect them and their place, but also it's important for me to go wherever I feel the need to go. And so I'll often just kind of stand in the central place of the home and go wherever I feel pulled. Sometimes I'll walk into a home and I'll immediately be like, I need to go upstairs to the back bedroom. And I don't know why I need to go there, but I do need to go there. Normally there's right. something in there that my attention or um, so just like a portal, but sometimes I'll just have a sense of like, I need to go upstairs into the lab. Um, so I just kind of follow that and I make my way through the home. I try and go in as much of the home as possible. Um, <laughs> and sometimes, so I like to go into people's basements a lot. And one of the things that I am kind of notorious for is finding rooms in people's homes that they didn't know they have. Oh, no way. So I'll be standing in their kitchen. I'll go, can I go into your basement? And they're like, I don't have a basement. And I do this thing and I don't know why it works, but like I'll stop my foot and it's in my brain. It's almost like kind of like banar where kind of like the sound goes out and comes back in. And I'm like, no, there's space under here. You have a basement. Yeah. And I found basements in people's houses they didn't know they had. Or uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do it too on, on walls. I'll start knocking on walls. And people who have, who have been around me on these investigations know what that means. Because I'm like, there's a secret door here somewhere to a room. Wow. Um, I was doing that in a friend of mine's oh house. And it's like a little Portland apartment. And she was like, what are you talking about? There's not an extra room in my apartment. Um then her cat started being really weird about her closet. And we found that in her closet, there was a board that we could unscrew and crawl through into a completely different room. There was a whole other like bedroom what? in there. Um, yeah. So, so sometimes I'm um, adding additions onto people's homes. <laughs> um, so I'll go through their home and kind of get a sense for, for what's there. And what I'm looking for is I'm, I'm taking a tally of earthbound spirits. Like, okay, who, who are the human spirits that are here? Um, why are they here? Um, and can we get them to move on? And on top of that, I'm also looking for uh, inhuman spirits. Mm. The other side is all of a menagerie of weird creatures all over the place. Um, some of them I run into routinely, other ones I just see once and I'm like, I don't know what that was, but I hated it. Mm. Um, And so you'll find all kinds of stuff. So I'm looking around for those as well. Um, If I do find what I call, you know, a negative inhuman entity, uh, there's usually what I've termed a nest in the home, which is a place where it lives um, full time. Wow. Um, Really a nest. Yeah. So identifying where that is, is really important to getting it out because that's where it kind of roots into the home. And without clearing out that space, you can't get it out because it's wedged in so deep. So kind of identifying, you know, if that spirit is there. Um, and if it is, oh my where does it live? You know, where does it spend its time? Just the visual of that idea of an entity being nested somewhere in your house and you can't oh, yeah. necessarily see it, but you can feel it. Oof. You can absolutely feel it. And and I tell people too, I mean, even people who are quote unquote, you know, don't have a psychic bone in their body or whatever, 
will often know where it is because they'll be like, I don't like whatever that room is. Like that room is creepy and I can't tell you why that area is creepy. Um, but so on top of those, you also have to look for portals too because a lot of homes will have portals. Then we'll do like a reveal where we sit down, um, kind of tell the clients, this is what we believe is happening in your home. This is what we propose to do to fix it. Um, and we get their permission and then we follow through with that. Um, and we generally like to complete it in a day. Yeah, right. So, you know, when, when you're experiencing things like nests and, and portals, how do they occur to you? How, do you have a visual element to, to what you're processing as well uh, through your mind, eye, your eyes, or, or anything like that? Or is it emotional or physiological response? Or um, it's a little bit of all of the above. I tend to experience it with my entire body. I, I'm mostly um, what we call clairsentient and claircognizant, which means um, I get a lot of my psychic uh, information through feeling, touch, and also by just knowing. Um, so touch is very important to me. That's why I like to kind of physically be in the space. Um, I can do a lot of it through pictures and stuff, but um, being in the space, I can really get kind of the next level sense of it. I do have some clairvoyant abilities in which I will see things, um, but it tends to come in flashes. But when it happens, it tends to be a very physical experience. So um, it's not completely uncommon in uh, Portland haunted spaces for me to be shot uh, psychically while on a location. Jesus so, uh, It can be quite jarring um, because like all... Well, I remember one house, I went into kind of a hallway and suddenly there was like, there's the big bang. And then I just looked down and I'm covered in blood, but it's only for a second. And I don't feel it the way that I would feel it if I was actually shot point blank. But the way that I kind of try and describe it is like, we've all stubbed our toe on something really badly. Right. And like, it's just like terrible. And if we bring up that memory it kind of makes us kind of go and kind of like have that cringe recoil kind of effect, even sure. though we're not experiencing it, but that recall yeah. of what it was like right. comes rushing back to us. Um, so it's very much like recalling the feelings from us. For, for me, it, it comes about in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's um, mental images and flashes and um, short kind of distorted visions. Um, but a lot of it is just simply knowing or feeling. So like I'll feel a portal on the wall and I'll be like, it's over there just because I can feel it. And for some reason, I also know it. Um, the, the claircognizance is the hardest part because you just know it. You don't know why. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What are you doing for yourself to deal with the, you know, I would assume the the trauma related to, you know, having the sense of being shot in a hallway, right? I mean, these are these are occurrences that if happened to you in real life, let alone if, you know, survived being shot, the, the lasting ramifications of the experience itself would be a challenge to get over. What do you do for yourself? I would, I would assume that your experience in, in magic and witchcraft like aids you in that process. Um, a little bit. Yeah. So there are ways that you can kind of, um, adjust the intensity of what it is that you're receiving and mm-hmm. what i'm receiving is often you know much more muted than the, the real experience would be mm-hmm. uh, talking to spirits, 
and they're showing me their death. You know, I get taken through a lot of car crashes, things like that. Um, but it's, it's again, it's more of a, a really intense memory. Mm-hmm. And I also am removed from it in the way that what I'm experiencing is not my experience. Mm-hmm. What I'm receiving does not belong to me. It belongs to somebody else. Um, so I don't have such an attachment to it. I don't, um, e- even though I, ex- I experience it through them from their kind of first person way of being, um, it still doesn't feel like it's mine. It doesn't feel like it's my experience. It feels right. like it's someone else's experience that I sort of accidentally walked in on for a moment. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot easier to kind of then put it down. I, I have been rather rattled by a few things that I've seen, um, but they do tend to, I, I tend to be able to process them pretty well just simply by knowing that it didn't actually happen to me because it's a bit like waking up from a a very short bad dream Mm. where even if you're pretty rattled kind of being able to go oh it was just a dream kind of immediately sort of kind of clears it away like that didn't actually happen none of this is real you know it happens else um really allows me to sort of process that event yeah in a way it's almost like sort of full sensory projections or something right yeah yeah you know, based on your experience with witchcraft and magic, are there times that you can tell us about where you found something like a portal and you've been able to gather that someone placed it there using certain magic skills or witchcraft? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, actually, a surprising amount of the calls I, I go on. Um, and it's funny because, you know, everyone is trying to kind of save face as, as you do. And so, you know, I'll, I'll go in and I'll, one of the early questions I like to ask people is, is, you know, when did it start? Was there something that triggered it? Because that gives me a lot of information on what it might be or how to deal with it. And so people will be like, like oh, no, it, it just completely started out of the blue. We have no idea how it started. And I'll spend about five minutes in the house just walking around. And there's a very particular... Um, Think that comes from dabbling in the occult. Interesting. And so I'll come back and I'll go, okay, which of you in the home is doing the witchcraft? And then one of them is like, well, you see what had happened was, <laughs> um, and <laughs> it's never someone who who's like, yes, I follow this path and I do this thing or this tradition. It's almost exclusively people who are like, well, I'm like, okay, well, so you're you're doing a little bit of of spiritual work. So what, what exactly is it that you do? And they're just kind of like, well, you know, I just sort of do my thing. I'm just kind of manifesting good things and abundance and, you know, just kind of getting to know what's out there. And I'm like, this is why we're very, very haunted. Um, or it's, I'll be, I'll go into a home and I'll meet some spirits and I'll go, okay, it's time for you guys to go. And they'll go, we don't have to go. They told us we could eat here. Oh, wow. And then I turn back around and I come out to the family again and I'm like, okay, we're going to try this a second time. Was there something that you did that started this? And then they all kind of go, like a lot of them will hang their heads and someone will kind of go, well, there was a Ouija board. And I'm like, okay, thank you. So, um, so yes, I do find a lot of it actually comes from people. Um, sometimes there are really... Um, hardcore occultists that um, occupied the home before the current people mm. who were 
doing like really satanic rituals, um, things like that, um, in which there will be full portals open and places, things like that. So, so sometimes you can tell it was previous tenants who were act, who were actively, you know, doing ceremonial magic. We run into that a lot, um, but a lot of times when it is the people who are living in the home, um, it comes from a lot of dabbling. You know, witchcraft is very mainstream right now, so everyone's trying to do it whether they should or not. Um, and it is causing a lot of problems for people. So let's talk about that a little bit because I think it's just so culturally relevant right now. Uh, especially with things with Instagram being an example and the amount of sort of Instagram witchcraft. Now I'm not one to sort of judge or make any, um, you know, sort of assessments, but I am aware of an overwhelming amount of, sort of kind of witchy styled folks (laughs) that uh, perhaps sort of like the imagery, the the sort of uh, cultural ramifications. They like the look, they like the brand of, of witchiness. The aesthetic. Yeah. I think that's cool. And a lot of great music has been made that way. Right. So I think it's important, especially if they turn that into something that they're passionate about, either maybe continue along that path or, or find what that means to them. Um, and maybe it helps them identify in a, in a way that is positive and finding themselves in some deeper way. But I also feel that like, you know, reading from your feed and some friends of mine that there is this sentiment that there's perhaps folks not getting enough education or going through enough practices or finding the right mentors to actually take this stuff seriously and approach it with respect. Is that your impression? Yeah, very much. And it's, it's hard because, you know, it is, we, we have a lot of people who kind of do feel that way, you know, kind of like, you know, this is like music, you know, this is like free expression and all these things. Um, but what a lot of people aren't getting through in their brain is that witchcraft is a loaded weapon. People really focus on things like, oh, well, you know, you can manifest your wildest dreams and like, you know, heal your trauma and all this stuff. You can also murder people with it. Hmm. And that's something that people don't like to talk about because it makes them uncomfortable. It means that they have to be responsible. It means all of these things. And (laughs) it's funny because people will often kind of, when I say things like that, be like, like, oh, well, you know, spells to do that don't actually exist. And I'm like, maybe not in your world, but they definitely do exist. I, coming from a Latino culture, um, those spells do very much get, do very much exist, you know, um, in cultures like Italian culture, African culture, um, Latinx culture, very powerful magic. East Asian yeah, culture. They are still very much alive um, in the magic and very powerful things. So in my culture, in my community, you know, in the Mexican community, it is not uncommon to hear people being like, um, you know, no, I broke up with the wrong person. The next day, my car flipped four times, you know, like um, things like that. So people don't realize that this is not a game. And on top of that, we're, we're kind of having this influx of because witchcraft is a trend, people have found that if they pose as someone who knows about witchcraft, then they will gain followers. So we'll get people who have just you know, 30, 50, 150,000 followers on Instagram. And they're just making stuff up as they go. And people are just eating it up, thinking that they're getting a proper magical education. Um, And on top of that, a lot of these, you know, witchcraft influencer types on Instagram have something to sell you. 
whether it's their new book or if it's you know something that they're making or their new class or their cousin community they pay to be a part of um people are making a lot of money off and so they bend the rules a little bit in order to gain popularity they will mm -hmm. say things like oh don't let anybody tell you that witchcraft has rules like come over here and hang out with me and we'll have no rules witchcraft mm -hmm. and then people like that because it's easier right than being right. responsible and having someone tell them no you need to study and you need to be careful and you need to like you know learn your lesson so a lot of people just kind of go like oh love and light you know we'll all do magic together and it's open to everybody no limitations and no rules and that's very scary because if we did that with, say, guns <laughs> or driver's licenses, you know, anybody can have them, any age, you know, these things, you know, guns and driver's licenses, things like that are rights in our community, but still we have parameters around them. You have to be a certain age, you have to take courses, you have to have certain amounts of education um, and then prove you can be responsible with right. it. Where in witchcraft, we have none of those things. We just have people on Instagram saying, do whatever you want. Um, right. And it becomes right. very dangerous very quickly. And it's hard because the people like me and some other workers who are out there um, who are kind of like, no, witchcraft has rules. You have to be responsible. You have to be careful. Um, people don't like us very much because we say things. Um, and people think that we're either gatekeeping or we're just outdated or any of this stuff. But it's it's a little frightening to watch and people just jump into the occult and get told that there aren't any rules and they don't need any foundational um, So it is kind of becoming an, a slightly increasing problem yeah. as far as things like hauntings caused by dabbling in witchcraft or people getting in over their heads or summoning things they shouldn't be summoning or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah, we got a listener question here. Uh, Matthew, for sure. Hop on, man. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, Professor Cross, thanks for being here this evening. Uh, nice to visit with you. Um, so I guess I'm coming at the idea of magic and witchcraft the same way that I come at the idea of religion. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk to you uh, about that a little bit. Like I've always... I grew up Catholic and my experience of Catholicism wasn't extremely militant or, or violent. It was actually pretty open and loving, but I experienced a lot of the negative um, uh, parts of it also in that experience too. And my inclination is to be agnostic overall. Um, I think everybody really wants to believe desperately that there's more to the human experience beyond what happens in the third dimension, what we see within 15 to 50 to 75 or 95 years of life. Mm. So I, I always have like tremendous empathy for people who want to believe in more than life, especially when they're suffering. And so I view religion as a way to manipulate people and to keep them away from actually showing up for one another and holding space and trying to explore psychology hmm. because the mind is such an incredibly powerful thing. You know, I feel like I'm probably more inclined to be open to magic. When I was living 
in New York, I had a friend that did Reiki and it really appealed to me. It resonated. And so I studied. And when I moved back home, I had the aspiration to continue to practice, but I went to a a class and the people there I felt were very opportunistic and manipulative and they were Mm. taking advantage of people's willingness to believe. And to me, that's the same thing I saw in religion forever, you know, and I'm all about showing up for people and that people are complex, but I'm extremely wary of how people's want to be connected to something holy or greater can be used to manipulate people. And then just now when I hear you talking about the the reality of uh, a spell that could kill, like my immediate reaction is no way because I don't believe that God or magic saves people when they're sick and dying and suffering. So I don't believe that God or magic or demons would kill people who are also innocent. And I'm, I'm just sharing my feelings in this forum with you. Yeah. Right. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, man, Matthew, that's really awesome. Any particular question or anything that comes to mind from having those feelings? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I guess just, you don't have to have one. I'm not well, trying to I, coax I, you out of one. Of <laughs> no, I mean, I thought about what the actual specific question would be to be respectful of, of, of the professor's time. And, you know, I guess really maybe speak to the difference between religion and magic and where people's, where you recognize in your practice people's faith and the delicacy of potentially manipulating. And then maybe if you have time, I don't know, addressing that spells that kill thing, which really makes me uneasy to hear. Yeah. Uh, Fucking fantastic line of questioning there. Well, thanks. I thought about it quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, my friend. All right, cool. Yes, um, I might need reminding on some of them as I kind of go over some of the finer points here. Um, So starting with religion and when it comes to witchcraft, um, this is something that's probably going to shock a lot of people, but you might see behind me, I have Our Lady of Guadalupe here. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a practicing Catholic at the same time. And that confuses a whole lot of people. Um, <laughs> but when, when you come from a Latino, uh, you know, a Latinx background, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, when we were colonized, we were brought Catholicism. And then, but we already had such a wide view of the spirit world that, you know, getting religion on top of that was like, okay, cool. That is a part of the larger kind of system. And I think that's something that's very important to realize about religion that people don't want to talk about is that religion is supposed to be um, kind of a starting point or a way, your chosen way to interact with the divine. Where we get kind of pigeonholed in it, where we get problems is when people are like, this little slice is all that there is and there is nothing else outside of it. Hmm. And also these are the rules and regulations around that. When really it should be like, this is your chosen launch pad into your interaction with higher powers. Um, Mm. And, you know, you're talking about psychology and all these things, you know, in Catholicism, when we get into kind of the the higher things or kind of, you know, things that the monks are doing and the nuns, there's a lot of um, intense spiritual work and psychological work. There's a lot of meditation, praying the rosary, the meditation, spends a lot of time doing this contemplation, this meditation, 
um, that you see a lot. Uh, so yeah, so we do get a lot of that. And then we have saints too, who, um, I'm trying to remember, I believe it was Teresa of Avila who wrote The Inner Kingdom, which was a fascinating book that was about um, rooms inside of herself. Hmm. And by going through these rooms, she was able to kind of go higher in this castle type thing that she envisioned in order to be closer to God. It was almost kind of like um, ascension or borderline astral projection um, in which where she would reach a state of closeness with the divine while still in her body that she would um, go into fits of ecstasy or levitate. There were a lot of things that would do this levitation. Um, kind of coming up to be closer to it. So there's a lot of weird parts in it where, you know, psychology, as far as like meditation, um, exploration within ourselves, and things like that, that then combine further up that we see a lot of. Um, and I do find that in a lot of religions and esoteric work and spiritual work, we tend to be talking about the same thing. Mm. We're just using different languages. Mm. and then we argue about it not <laughs> realizing that we're saying the same thing um so that's something that we kind of run through a lot and, and you're right oftentimes you know religion is used to control and but the the thing is that people don't realize that the spiritual community and the witchcraft community is very much the same you know people always talk about like oh you know how can you be catholic when you know priests are are you know sexual predators how many spiritual gurus out there are also sexual predators? This is something that we find pervasive in all types all right. of things that is specific to, mm-hmm. you know, one area or the other. We all kind of have similar issues because anytime you have a place where people come to for answer, you will find people that take advantage of that. And that's really, really unfortunate. Um, and that's something that shouldn't be happening, but seems to sort of be a weird cosmic necessity. I don't know that seems crass, but uh, it's just something that's so pervasive that you wonder if it's like a weird challenge that you have to get around, recognize, you know, the serpent in the garden or whatever it is um, in order to get through to those answers. But, you know, yeah. these people will always congregate. around. Um, so it's hard to kind of pigeonhole like, oh, well, these are the specific areas where people have trouble and these are the areas that are safe because, you know, we find them in Catholicism. We find them in, in you know, the Wiccan covens. So we find them all of them. Um, yeah, wow. I'm trying to make sure I'm hitting all of them. And then, so as far as the um, the witchcraft that can kill people, it's, I am, I hate to say that I'm a little glad that it makes you uncomfortable because it really should make you uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, I feel that a lot of people need to be uncomfortable with witchcraft um, because if they're not, then they're not, Seeing the entirety of it. And you are right um, in a certain extent that when it's your time, it is your time. However, that doesn't mean that your card doesn't still flip four times. That still doesn't mean that, you know, you may get, um, you know, very hurt or in one way or another. I have had several friends who have engaged with the wrong people in magical combat and mm-hmm. had their break give out all kinds of things um, in my culture too. Um, if you go into Mexico, especially kind of rural areas in Mexico, um, you will find places where people have indeed been killed by witchcraft. Because traditional, real, real-world brujeria is incredibly powerful and terrible. Um, 
And so when you get into some of these areas, there are stories of people having their souls stolen or mm. pieces of their souls taken or know people who have been made, you know, terribly ill for, you know, social slights, things like that. Um, so it, it is an uncomfortable part of the world that we live in um, as far as witches is concerned. It's a, it's a uncomfortable part of our world, but it is very much real. And, and worldly, right? I mean, uh, both metaphorically and then just in terms of uh, uh, consequences that can be felt around the globe and a lot of the shamanic traditions, you know, doing a documentary feature on, uh, you know, for, for season three of the show, you know, we learned about shamanic warfare in the Amazon. Um, there's witch wars, right? That exist. So uh, it's, it's a fascinating and terrifying um, thing to consider, especially in these days where so much of this culture has been sort of uh, embraced by the mainstream, right? There's still these elements mm-hmm. that, 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 that do have very real consequences there. Uh, thank you so much for your, for your questions and your insight, Matthew. That was great, man. Uh, Lucy has a question. She says, so where should someone start learning? I've gathered some books and have learned a bit from more experienced witches, but I want to expand my practice. Any suggestions on where to go from here without getting over my head? Um, yeah. So when you first start out, um, I, I think the most important part is to go very, very slow. Um, there is kind of this myth that there is a finish line in witchcraft and there is not, you are constantly learning. So People, when they first start, they see people like me and go, oh, I want to be there. So I'm going to like read one beginner book and then like 72 advanced ones in a year and then I'll be done. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that we're never done. Uh, so taking your time is extremely, extremely important. Um, I would hang around in the area of Wicca for as long as you possibly. I know that um, Wicca is not the most well looked upon because people are like, people kind of look at it like it's the kiddie pool of witchcraft. And for a lot of us, it kind of was. Um, but Wicca, you know, through, through Wicca, um, especially getting some more advanced stuff does have um, some meat to it for sure. But a lot of people will either avoid Wicca altogether because they don't want to be seen as kind of like a new person or like someone who does fluffy magic. So instead, they'll put themselves in danger by being like, okay, well, I won't do Wicca, but I will do voodoo. Um, And they're not Mm. ready or having the resources or the people around for that. So I highly recommend, um, if you're not already hanging out in the Wicca pool, to definitely go and do that. It's where you will learn all of your fundamental magic um, that you can then take with you to other paths later. Because learning how to sense energy, how to manipulate energy, how to, you know, cast spells, things like that. all your basics, you know, what red candles are for, what blue candles are for, things like that can all be learned there. And then later, if you decide that you want to, you know, be a hoodoo practitioner or whatever, then then we can talk in a few years. But um, so I would highly recommend reading a lot of books, a lot, a lot of books, um, and be aware of, number one, who is writing them and who's publishing them. Um, Wiser is, does a really good job of what they put out. 
um, it's a publication company called Wiser. Um, Llewellyn is not bad. Um, and just also take a look at the author. Who's writing? You know, is this a book on brujeria? Okay, cool. Is it a Latinx person who's writing it? No? Okay, then maybe we kind of shy away from that one. I would stay away from anything that's published by a non-magical publisher. We're seeing things that are being published right now by Cosmopolitan Magazine and by Penguin and Random House. And these places do not have the editors who have the background in it to vet if this information is good. So we used to say that basically any book that you pick up is going to be legit because, you know, the only people we had producing these were magical publishers. Um, that's no longer. So mm. I would take some time, you know, see who this author is. Do they have other books? Are they well respected? Um, and I would do a lot of books, um, especially when you're first starting. Uh, Scott Cunningham is an author. Some people aren't into it because it's old school Wicca. And so they use things like they, they gender their tools, you know, things like knives are masculine and bowls are feminine. And now that we're kind of in this um, trans inclusion, non-binary sort of wave, a lot of that is being looked um, at as being not politically correct. Um, but as far as the magic and the information is concerned, especially when you're first starting, the Scott Cunningham books are really good. Um, especially his reference books, the Encyclopedia uh, of Magical Herbs, things like that is very important. Well, Lucy, I think you have uh, definitely enough to start from there. Lucy says, great answer. Thanks, Jay. I have a lot of Scott Cunningham's books, and I love the idea of always being the student. I'm a yoga trainee as well, and that concept is a big part of that too. There's no finish line. That's so That's so perfect. It's sort of just committing yourself to these things as a lifestyle, as a pursuit, as a, as a part of your being and just continuing to learn. I think that as a culture, we always think there's a finishing line too, right? We always need to be at the top of our game all the time and we need to be there right now. And it's like, no, no, no. Like we can be patient with ourselves in this stuff. Like no one is rushing us. No one is rushing you. Just do your thing and take your time with it and uh, internalize it and fantasize with it and freak out with it and everything else. So, um, Jay, this has been fantastic, man. This has been such a good conversation. I want to end with one last question. That was, you know, after, you know, really doing this in, intensely for the last 20 years and to diving into all these different spectrums of techniques and beliefs and, you know, uh, uh, adopting uh, so much of your ancestry into what you do as well. What do you think that being a witch has done for you personally? um, It's given me a lot, actually. Um, It's given me home and identity and community. Um, But really, it's given me this expanded and very unique view of the world that a lot of people really don't get to have. And so to be able to do what I do and have the experiences that I do, I I realized that my days because of what I do are not normal people days. Normal people don't go and take a evil entity out of a little kid's closet in the morning and then go and make a love potion at night. And so (laughs) to understand from my perspective that the truth will always and inevitably be stranger than fiction on every account. Um, and to not only know that it's strange, but also it is the reality that we're surrounded by that so many people don't 
realize that there is so much more to the world. And so just being able to have that unique perspective to see that there is so much more out there than most of us know, more than I know. There's way more. Wow. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for that. Where can people go to find more of your work or get in contact with you for your services, et cetera? Um, I am working on a website. It is it is getting there. I'm building it myself. So it's, <laughs> it's slow and it's coming. Again, um, be patient with yourself, right? Exactly. There is, there is no finish here. Um, but right now, the best place for people to reach me is going to be through Instagram. My handle is at Oregon Woodwitch. And there is an underscore between all the words. Um, so you can find me there. Um, you can kind of browse the services I have to offer. I also have an Etsy that you can find through my Instagram page where I sell magical products, um, candles, I have spell kits, I have paint kits and cards and all kinds of stuff. So I do teach classes through my Instagram. Fantastic. Well, I hope this is, you know, only the first of, of many conversations, my friend. I can't wait to come and actually convene with you and do a do a doc But thank you so much, as always, for joining these. Love you guys so much. Thank you, Jay Allen Cross. Everyone have a great night. Keep looking up. Talk to you later. And thank you for listening to Night Drift. Thank you again to our guest, Jay Allen Cross. To be a part of our next live Zoom interview, join us at patreon.com slash euphemet. And remember, subscribe to Night Drift's new feed wherever you listen to podcasts music on the show tonight by no joy and why courtesy of joyful noise a record label curating adventurous music from a plethora of amazing exploratory artists find links in our show notes thank you to shutter as well as anchor.fm this edition has been edited by kyle gilmer of residual audio for everything night drift and euphemet merch and links to our social media visit euphemet.com Thank you again for listening. This is Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up. You can follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. 